This morning, I want to begin just a short series. Michael Carlson's going to help me some with it. It's going to be one that runs through the first two chapters of Luke. Effectively, what I want to do is start Advent a little early. We're Baptists. We don't necessarily follow the church calendar exactly. And so I want to work through the first two chapters of Luke leading up to Christmas and even one service after Christmas Day, which is, by the way, still Christmas. You know there are 12 days to Christmas, right? So I want to work through that entire story leading up to the birth of Christ, but also the events after the birth of Christ. There's a lot there, rich, rich teaching that's there. And so that's where I want to focus. And today we're going to be reminded that life doesn't always go according to script. If it did, then good behavior would always lead to happy results. And we know that's not always true. Bad things do happen. Troubles do come. There are seasons of great joy and happiness, but there are also seasons of sadness. That's the way life works. And that's what was known all too well by Zachariah and Elizabeth. We read some small portion of their story in Luke chapter 1. And I want to start reading in verse 5. If you have your Bible, you might want to open it. We're not going to have a slide this morning. It's a long text, and I thought, you know what? I don't know that it's going to help to put it up on the screen. I see all these people turning to their Bibles. It's like first time in church, right? That you, no. Don't tell me you don't have a Bible. You got a phone in your pocket. You can turn to that, but don't get on Facebook. If anybody gets on Facebook, you report to me after the service. There's something called excommunication. Have you ever heard of excommunication? (laughs) So Luke chapter 1, let's read. It says, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. You see, they were righteous, but childless. That's not according to script. I mean, we could talk about other situations as well. Righteous, but poor. Righteous, but lonely. Righteous, but depressed. Righteous, but divorced. Righteous, but sick. Life often goes off script, and that's what happened here with Zachariah and Elizabeth. Righteous, but without children. Now, if they lived today, they likely would have looked into adoption, but the Jews at this time didn't practice adoption, and actually, ancient peoples in general did not practice adoption. So they had really one option, and that was to pray and to hope and to wait. And so that's what they did. Year after year, that's what they did, prayed and they waited. And here they are coming to old age and they still don't have a child. And so there's a certain, there's a certain sadness over them. Not that they had not been blessed by God, certainly they had been. No doubt as they lived for God, 
They experience God's blessings, but there's this one thing, this longing that is unfulfilled in their lives. But then, in their old age, God intervenes. Verse 8, once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time came for the burning of incense, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to the ch their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Your prayer has been heard, says the angel. Now he's been praying for a long time and nothing has happened, but now he's told your prayer has been heard and you will have a son. Not just any child, mind you, but this son will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He'll be a prophet of God. He will be going to prepare the way for Messiah. He is a crucial figure in the unfolding of God's plan. God says through the angel that you will have such a son. You will name him John. We know him as John the Baptist. Now, this is overwhelming. And no doubt, Zachariah has this leap of joy in his heart, but, you know, he's been disappointed before. And he doesn't want his hopes dashed yet again, so he'd like a sign of some kind. Zachariah asks the angel, how can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens, because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. You want a sign? I'll give you a sign. Here's your sign. You don't believe my words that God sent me to proclaim to you? Now you won't be able to use your own words. You won't be able to speak. And in fact, he could not speak until John was born. But Luke tells us later that the moment he was born, the Spirit of God came upon him and he burst out into a hymn of praise. Well, he goes home. Uh, after this, the people were a bit worried because this conversation between Zechariah and Gabriel took a little time, so they're not quite sure what's going on. But it says, verse 21, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. 
When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. Now, that last statement, it pulls you up short. At least it pulls me up short because Elizabeth speaks about her disgrace. Now, her inability to have a child is a simple biological fact for which she was not responsible, and yet she feels shame before others. She feels less than others. She talks about her disgrace before others. There's no logic to that, but then our emotions don't really follow logic, do they? There's no logic to a child who grows up in a poor home to be ashamed of their poverty, but often they are. And there's no logic to a woman who's been assaulted to feel ashamed because of the sin and crime of the person who assaulted her, and yet often she does. Our emotions don't always fall in line, and Elizabeth's didn't fall in line. But now, now she's overcome by the goodness of God, where it looked as if she was a woman of some disgrace, what, what had she done wrong? Why was she not able to bear children? Was God displeased with her? All of those things that have to go through her mind. Maybe even she wondered at one time or another, is Zachariah sorry that he married me? In his heart of hearts, does he wish he would have married someone else who could give him children? All of those things are going on, and now all of that's washed away as God intervenes and gives this child. It's an impressive story with lots of things for us to learn. And right on the surface of it, the first thing that I want to call your attention to is that our disappointments are not evidence of God's disapproval. That's so clear in this passage. Here is a couple righteous before God. God was pleased with them, and yet and yet they had to feel at one time or another that God had just brushed them off. They have this longing for a child. They pray for a child, and no child comes. They're friends. They're having children. Everybody seems to be having children, and they celebrate. It's a joy for all these families, but not for our families. What's wrong? Why is God overlooking us? It's so easy to think that when we're disappointed, when our hopes are unfulfilled, that somehow God is displeased with us. Or I could really turn it around. It's hard to not think that, to think that God's simply brushing us off. But you know, Jesus said on many occasions, the last will be first and the first will be last. And when he said that, what that means is there are some people that seem to have everything now But in the eyes of God, they are impoverished and they are without, and in time that will be revealed. There are others that look like they they are not walking in the blessings of God, and yet they are treasured by God. And though they are last now, they will be first. You cannot draw a direct connection between your, your bank account and your health and God's view of you. 
We know what God thinks from the scriptures, not from the circumstances of our life. So that's the first thing we need to remember is that our disappointments in life are not evidence that God is displeased. But then closely associated with that, what comes out in this passage is that in the case of Zachariah and Elizabeth, God's yes to them came in the form of an apparent no. They prayed for a child and no child appeared. And this goes on for years until they are way past the time when it was even possible. So God intends to bless them with a child. God says yes, but it looks as if he said no. And it looks like that for a long, long time. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. It wasn't yet time for Christ to be born. And therefore, it wasn't yet time for John the Baptist to be born. And yet, God had identified a couple through whom John would come, who would raise John to know the Lord. He had a couple that he believed in, that was righteous before him, that he wanted to bless. And they prayed for a child, and he says, yes, But part of the yes required that they wait. Part of the yes, part of the blessing was that they appeared childless and could not have a child. And then God intervenes with a miracle to make it possible. Part of the blessing was was the denial or the apparent denial. Do you see that? So many times that's the case with us. We pray for things, we want things, and we don't get them, and we think that God's holding out on us, but in fact, God's no can actually be his yes. That is, he can be granting our request, and the way he grants it, well, it takes time, and part of the blessing might be the time. That's hard to accept, but that's the truth. And it may be that his answer, his yes, might not be quite in the terms that we ask. In the case of Zachariah and Elizabeth, they ask for a child and they get a child, but they may not have. But that doesn't mean in the end, God will not favor them and, and, and answer the intent of their prayer. I feel like I've just run through a lot of words and I'm not sure it's clear. Is it clear? You see what I'm saying? That, that there can be a delay, there can be a no, but that apparent no can be part of the answer. Think of Think of the thrill for Zachariah and Elizabeth when God actually does a miracle to give them a son. That is a blessing beyond blessing. It's probably been three or four years ago. I shared a prayer with you that has meant a lot to me. It's been used, oh, in innumerable places. It's anonymous. This prayer has been written by someone that no one knows, but it's been ascribed to different ones because, well, everybody has a good imagination. The most common ascription is that it was a Civil War soldier, but that's just pulled out of the air. We don't know where this prayer came from. But I want to read it to you again because I think it brings home how God will answer our prayer and, and, and touch the longing of our hearts sometimes in ways we don't expect, 
Sometimes there'll be a delay, and sometimes he'll give us something that fulfills the longing, but not, but not answer our prayer in a literal way. I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for health that I might do greater things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything I hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I, among all men, most richly blessed. God favors us and answers our prayers, not always exactly as we ask them, and certainly not according to our timetable. That was the experience of Zechariah and Elizabeth. And yet, God's apparent denials are not actually denials. And often, the no is part of the yes. That is, the delay is part of the yes. We need to understand that. And then, really, almost the most important lesson I think we can derive from this passage is that it's not all about us. You notice, as we go through this passage and we read it, I'm talking a lot about Zechariah and Elizabeth and the longing of their hearts and their prayer and the delay and the answer to their prayer. But the passage itself really, in the first place, isn't about Zechariah and Elizabeth. It's about God. And it's about God's unfolding plan, God's intervention to work the redemption of humanity. It's about the story that God is writing. Zechariah and Elizabeth are simply support actors in that story. It's not all about them. It's about what God is doing and the Christ who is coming and the salvation that he will secure. God has a purpose and Zechariah and Elizabeth are fitting into that purpose. That's what their life is all about. God has created them and they are created to serve God's purpose. And that's the truth for all of us. We are created by God and we are created to serve his purpose. For Christians, that's doubly true because we don't belong to ourselves. We've been bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so we serve him and his kingdom and his purposes. We are not the stars who can change the script to suit us. We are the support actors, and we have to fit in to what God's purpose might be. That's absolutely essential for us to understand, and it's hard to understand in a narcissistic age in which we think the whole story is about us. My story is the story, and I want God to come in and accommodate me. But the fact is, God is working out his purposes and I fit into that plan and I don't necessarily fit in exactly how I might intend it. So Friday night, Renee and his team put together a dinner for 
veterans. And it was a great night. We had a big turnout, and, and it was just a wonderful time just to say thank you to our veterans and, and their service to our country. It was interesting talking to different ones. Um, they all had different experiences in whatever branch of the military they were in. Um, some saw combat, others did not. Some were stationed across you know, the other side of the globe. Others were stationed down the road in Fort Hood. But what they all had in common was this. They served where they were placed. They were under authority. And they knew that by being part of the service, it was all about the mission and it wasn't about them. There is nothing less narcissistic than the notion that you will serve your country and you will do it under orders and you will serve the mission and not yourself. In the same way, we have been summoned into the kingdom of God and it is for us to serve God and the kingdom. And that's what we see with Zachariah and Elizabeth. You know what? Part of their story included long years of childlessness, but it was serving the purpose of God in preparing the way for the coming of his son. Now, you and I, we don't know. We don't know in our own lives just how what we pass through serves God's kingdom. But God is working and using each of us in the way that he chooses. And it may not be that I'm stationed where I want to be stationed. And it may be that I end up seeing combat and I don't really want to see combat. There could be a lot of different things that don't suit me, but I am under orders and there's a mission and God has a purpose and I'm to fit into that. And that's why no Christian should yield to self-pity We live with disappointments, but it is not for us to feel sorry for ourselves in our disappointments. We live with unfairness, but it's not for us to feel sorry for ourselves because ultimately, ultimately, there is no unfairness because God, God will turn all things for good. I mean, I understand, I understand. On a human level, there is real unfairness. But that will all be swallowed up one day by the grace of God as he takes it up and redeems it and turns it for good and for his glory because it's all about his glory. It's all about God's glory. So my purpose, my significance, the fulfillment of my life is not about writing my own script and living it out. It's about Serving God, letting him write the script, and humbling myself to follow that. Self-pity is incompatible with faith in Jesus Christ. Not only that, it destroys resilience. You're not able to cope with the trials of life because you're collapsing in on yourself. Not self-pity, but thanksgiving thanking God that he is with us and he will see us through and that whatever we face will all redound to his glory. And that's what we want because we are his 
creatures. He's made us. He's redeemed us. What we want is for him to be glorified. So when you really get down to the heart of it, what's this passage about? It's about God and his redemptive purpose. So Jesus tells us, seek first the kingdom, God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. What things? Well, if you read, you'll see all the things we worry about. All the things that we worry about, those things will be added to you. Those things, he means, will be taken care of. Seek first the kingdom. And may I say that if you've not, if you've not turned your life over to God and, and answered his summons, then you've not yet begun to live. God is calling you out of darkness into light. God is calling you out of sin into righteousness. You only get there by turning to Jesus Christ. It's not by turning over a new leaf. It's not by becoming a religious person or anything like that. It comes by responding to Jesus Christ who died on a cross for you, for me, for all of us. And my prayer is that if you don't know Christ this morning, that you will receive him as your Lord and Savior. You just pray a simple prayer to that effect. Lord, I need your grace. Forgive me for my sins and come into my life. And you follow him all the days of your life. If you need help with that, I'll be here after the service. I'd love to talk with you about it. I'd love to pray with you about it. But you need to follow Jesus. There's only one Savior, only one Savior. And he's the only Lord. We need to follow Jesus. Would you pray with me right now? Lord, we thank you for your astonishing grace. Lord, we know that we don't have to fear that if things go wrong in life that you have somehow turned against us. And Lord, we know that you hear our prayers and you answer them, perhaps not on our timetable and not in the way that we might choose, but you don't forget us as you didn't forget Zachariah and Elizabeth. But most of all, Lord, we know that you, you have a purpose to save this world, Lord, to redeem people who have been trapped in sin. We are among those people, and we know that you're using each of us to fulfill your purpose. God, help us to be faithful to that. Forgive us when we we grow weary of the path before us. Help us to walk the life you've given us in faith, knowing that it's the path you've chosen. Help us with that. And Lord, anyone here turning their heart over to you, seeking you as Savior, may, may you help them to turn from their sin to you with all their heart and may you fill them now with the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray all this in Christ's name, amen.